is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Church for the Rest of Us. We're back again talking about the power of the neighborhood church. Uh, Leslie Bennett is in studio with me. We're here in South Florida, high atop our gleaming office complex in West Palm Beach. You should come see it. And uh, we are in South Florida at Family Church, putting a neighborhood church in a neighborhood building with a neighborhood pastor who speaks the neighborhood language. That's right. We like to think of our churches as gospel outposts, bringing the hope and healing of the gospel to as many people as possible. And today we have two men with us who are doing the very same thing. They friends really, really are. Yeah, they are friends of mine. We've been friends for a long time. Tom Rayner is with us and Matt McCraw as well. So I've actually known Tom. I was one of Tom's students when I was doing my uh, MDiv at Southern Seminary back in the early 90s. And that's when we met and I got to be in his classes and we got to be friends. And then over the years, we've just had a lot of fun times. We've been on podcasts together and spoken together. And Tom's just been a great mentor in my life. And then I've gotten to be close friends with his sons as well. And so the whole family from Nellie Joe, the boys, their families, it's all been just a real pleasure to be friends with Tom Rayner. And then Matt McCraw and I met when Matt was just a teenager and he came to college in Louisville, Kentucky. And we've been friends all these years and just watching Matt grow and he's a pastor. And so I'm going to let these guys kind of introduce themselves and tell about what they do in ministry. So let's start with you, Matt. Tell us about where you are in ministry and what you do. And then I think it'd be good to let Tom introduce himself because I don't think anybody's ever heard of him. Well, yeah, I serve here in Central Florida in kind of the country part of Florida at First Baptist Church Bartow. I'm the senior pastor here. Next month will be five years that I've been the pastor here. Love being here. It's very close to where I grew up, about 20 parents, uh, 20 miles. 20 parents away. It's about 20 parents away. So, no, it's about 20 miles from where my parents live. And uh, it's just been a, a great time being here in Central Florida. I also get to serve with Church Answers. I work with our partner relationships. And I'm also the dean of the newly launched Church Answers University. So I'm honored to be a part of that. But my full-time gig is pastor at First Baptist Barto. All right, Tom, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in ministry? My role is to keep students from crashing moving trucks into trees when they're trying to help my family move. Also power lines. (laughs) Yes, power lines and a few other things. That's been my name to claim. I'm the husband of uh, Nellie Joe. I'm the father of Sam, Art, and Jess. I got 11 grandkids. My path has been business to seminary, to pastor, to academia as a dean, and then in fact served alongside you as a dean, Jimmy, for a few years there. And then to Lifeway, where I'm CEO and now founder of Church Answers. So that's my path. I've written a couple of books as well. Yeah. So, Tom, seriously, tell us a little bit about Church Answers and what Church Answers does for churches. It's elevator speech is pretty simple, Jimmy. We seek to help churches get healthy and church leaders to get healthy so that church can be healthy with church healthy leaders. So we <laughs> work on right. the health of the leaders <laughs> when we work on the health of the church. So that's really the simple uh, elevator pitch for that. There are a lot of things that are involved, but most recent one is where Matt is dean and Church Answers University. We're getting 
ministry training and education to the world. Almost half of our students are outside of the United States. We have a significant concentration in Uganda. We are really, really enthused about what God is doing to get ministry training where it would not be otherwise. That's our latest endeavor, Jimmy. I'm not going to go down the checklist of all the things we do. <laughs> yeah, well, they do have a variety of products, uh, podcasts, books and materials, uh, courses, all kinds of things that are designed to help, as I think Tom said eloquently, help church leaders get healthy and help churches get healthy. And so if you want to find that out about that, Jimmy. that was very good. How could they find these products if someone wanted to find out more about Church Answers right now? It's complicated. You go to churchanswers.com. There you go. I think everyone can spell that. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And I really appreciate the ministry that both of you do and the friendship that we've had again over a long period of time. And what we want to talk about is the neighborhood church, Leslie. That's right. So we've been doing this series on the power of the neighborhood church. So we thought you all would have a lot to say about this. So just in a brief answer, like how do you describe the power of the neighborhood church? Well, I think the neighborhood church is very powerful because the opportunities are right in front of you in your neighborhood. And so the way I kind of like to describe it is there is potential low-hanging fruit for you to penetrate and understand the neighborhood because you are in that neighborhood. And so I think it's a great opportunity for churches to know the neighborhood, be more effective in ministry. And I think it's an opportunity for churches to really be effective in reaching those that God has placed right in front of them. How about you, Tom? Jim, there's a lot of things we could say about the neighborhood church. Its value has been exacerbated as a result of the pandemic. As you well know, many people are now working from home or working partly from home. And the whole idea of wanting to be local has been accentuated. And there's a lot more people who are saying, I want a church that is closer to me, that expresses the context and the value of the neighborhood where I live. And even though the neighborhood church is not a new concept, it was kind of started in Jerusalem at one time ago. It is something that has taken on a lot of new value. And one of the things that's happening in the midst of all of this is we're seeing that more and more Christians and even non-Christians are desiring to go to some place that is within their context, within their locality. It's a whole new opportunity that we have not seen to this degree in my lifetime. And my lifetime is a pretty long time. So in many ways, it's something that's been around a while, but in many ways, it's something on the cutting edge. Yeah, it's kind of weird like that because it's not just churches. So like you see kind of like the all of the malls are degrading and they can't get enough tenants to fill them up. And yet if you go to a restaurant, people are paying an arm and a leg to eat something they call farm to table. And they want to say that the eggs are you know locally sourced. And I do think that there's something cultural happening there. Tom, do you, you see that as well in your research and as you talk to churches? Yeah, it's definitely something that is cultural. The baby boomers, my generation born between 1946 and 1964, there about 76 million of us live births. We were the generation that created the big box church. We created the big box mall, the big box stores like the Walmarts of the world. We're the generation that We're really seeking anonymity in many ways and getting behind the crowds. 
That was a phenomenon that had a short-lived life. And now we're beginning to see things get back to what I think is more normalcy, and that is to minister, to live, to shop, to do things where you are. And what we're seeing as a result of this is that the neighborhood church is becoming a solution for that. It is a cultural shift. Think of the importance of your local coffee shop. Think of the importance of, yeah, your your farm-to-table type of restaurant. Think of those things that are now growing in importance. I live in Franklin, Tennessee, and I am amazed. Now, Franklin's a cool town, but I am amazed at how many people desire to be right there in the old Franklin area and shop and do things right where their neighborhood is. That's why the Neighborhood Church has one of the greatest opportunities before us. It's a cultural shift, but in many ways, it's a return to what was pre-Boomer era. Now, now Matthew, you are a pastor of a neighborhood church, the First Baptist Church of Bartow, which used to be its own distinct small town, but it's kind of been absorbed in the state of Florida by what we call the I-4 corridor. So now Bartow is more of a neighborhood outside of Lakeland. So I wonder if you talk a little bit about what it's like to be the pastor of a neighborhood church. Well, it's certainly a reality I do coming in, but you have to experience it to understand. Every community, every neighborhood is different. Bartow has a lot of pride in itself. And Mm -hmm. we really are dealing with two things here in Bartow. One is, are those folks, those Bartonians who have been here for since, you know, for decades and maybe centuries, you know, just, you know, in their family has been in our area. But also, because it's part of the greater I-4 corridor, we do have new folks moving in all the time uh, in the greater Lakeland area, Winter Haven, as everything's expanding towards us. So we really are looking for two things. One, we're looking to understand the neighborhood that we're in for those who have been in Bartow forever and to make sure we understand who they are and what they're going through and to continue that traditional legacy church that's been here for so long, while also being open and reaching out to those who are moving to the area who are looking for a neighborhood their families can be a part of. A lot of people move to Bartow because it's near the big city, but it's not the big city. And they want that culture and that experience here. So I've had to learn that as I've been here the last five years. It's really a great opportunity because people are moving here for that small town experience, but not way away from everything else. Yeah. And they're getting that there. Go ahead, Tom. What has happened in all of this is that the neighborhood church really grew out of favor in North America. The regional church, the large church, got a lot of the press. The neighborhood church became something that you might use as another church, but now it is becoming a destination not only for members and those who are guests. It's becoming a destination for leaders. That combination is going to be powerful as we begin to see the neighborhood church expand across North America and beyond. And I think that's so important, Tom, because I think there was a time when I was first coming to seminary, especially when the aspiration of every seminary student was to pastor a megachurch like Adrian Rogers or Jerry Vines or W.A. Criswell. I just don't see that same hunger for the same thing in guys that are in their 20s coming through seminary now. Do you sense something different as well? Totally and completely. And Matt can address it because Matt's about eight decades younger than I am. He knows people better than I do. But the aspirational goals of many of the leaders have shifted dramatically. 
What's happening is many of the larger churches are having challenges to find pastors, and many of the mid-sized and even smaller churches are seeing that there's a more receptive audience to it. It's been remarkable to me, Jimmy, to see the mindset change in maybe 10 to 15 to 20 years. It's been a paradigmatic shift during that time. I think there's a sense that a lot of these mega churches, especially Baptist churches, I think people feel like maybe some of their best days are behind them and they're really not confident they can convert the things that made the mega church possible in terms of the infrastructure, the giving, the number of volunteers you have to have, all of that. I think people are afraid that it's not sustainable. And I wonder, Matt, if you feel, as you talk to guys that are your age and kind of in your cohorts, I wonder if you've heard people say things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's really two movements that have contributed to the rise of leaders aspiring to a neighborhood church. I think one is seeing the temptations and pitfalls of some of the mega church pastors and what they've experienced and realizing there are some great challenges personally for leaders in mega churches. Certainly not not all of them fall, obviously, but there have been some famous examples of that. So I think we're realizing pastoring a megachurch may not be as glamorous and easy as we thought it was. But I think also we've learned that it takes longer to build healthy churches than some of us realize. So for instance, church revitalization and replanting have gained a lot of popularity. I was taught before I came here, don't expect anything good to happen in less than five years. And so you have to kind of sit still longer. And I think pastors from my generation, certainly younger, I'm 40 years old, I think we're learning in order to build a gospel-centered, effective, long-lasting church, you need to sit still for a while and see how the Lord can work through you. Those two things have really come to the forefront along, among a lot of my peers. And I have some friends who are megachurch pastors, and I realize from them, the grass is not always green. <laughs> it's so, tough, isn't it? So as we've made this shift culturally and even in the mindset and hearts of pastors and ministry leaders, what are some effective strategies to regain your neighborhoods? Tom, maybe you could speak to that, just the number of churches that you work with. Well, the first thing, Leslie, you you can't reach your neighborhood unless you know your neighborhood. And you can know your neighborhood through demographic psychographics. You can know your neighborhood by walking around. You can know your neighborhood by going to the merchants. You can know your neighborhood by talking to the neighbors. Don't presume that you know your neighborhood. For many years, when we did consultations, one of the things that we would do is we would go out into the neighborhood of a church and we would ask merchants simply for directions to the church that we were consulting. And most of the time we would get pretty embarrassing answers. I've never heard of it. And one of the most blatant examples was a church that we were consulting. We went to the convenience store. It was across the street from it. And we asked from the church, we asked them for directions. How do you get there? They said, we're not familiar with it. It's a big staple white column church. No offense to any big staple white column churches. It was a big staple white column church, and they didn't even know it existed. So the first thing you got to do is say, do we really know our neighborhood? Because you cannot reach your neighborhood. You cannot even begin the word strategy until you know your neighborhood. And there are numbers of ways to do that. You're right, Matt. I agree with that. I wrote down something that comes to mind for me when it comes to learning my neighborhood is just to listen. To go to lunch and businesses downtown, experiencing things, listening. But I think the, the biggest thing, and Tom, you mentioned, you know, don't assume you know everything. I think we need to have a posture of humility. As leaders, we need to have a posture of humility that we are looking to understand our neighborhood, understand our community, and be willing to listen to what works for them and what life is like for them. So I think that's, that's been helpful to me is to try to fight to be humble, to listen, and to always be learning. 
I think too, along with that goes, once you learn about your neighborhood, I do think that there's this opportunity to be incarnational as a neighborhood pastor that you don't have in the same way as a regional church pastor. And so I wonder, Tom, if you'd speak a little bit too, and I'd like to hear from both of you about the incarnational opportunity that is presented to a pastor that's actually knows his neighborhood. Well, it's an opportunity that has been forgotten, not only in the big church, but it's also been forgotten in the neighborhood church, Mm -hmm. because what happened in the neighborhood church is many pastors tried to act like the pastors of the other churches, and they did not get incarnational, and they did not begin to know their neighbors, and they did not begin to know their neighborhood. Matt said it well, as you begin to meet with people in civic organizations, as you begin to have coffee, as you begin to get to know folks, you are there in the world of the neighborhood church. And once you do that, you're going to find ministry opportunities. You're going to find relational opportunities that you would not anywhere else because you are there, you are living there, and you're living amongst the people. Matt, you're actually doing that. You live in Bartow. You minister in Bartow. Yeah. Five years, what does it feel like? Yeah. And actually, it's something you said is very important. We live in Bartow. We live in town. And one story comes to mind when I was outside working in the yard and one of our church members who lives close by came by and started just talking to me. Next thing I know, another church member came down the sidewalk from the other direction. There were three of us. Then someone was driving by and they pulled in the yard and and all of a sudden there's five people from our church in my yard, just hanging out and talking. So I think that idea of being in the community, knowing the community, going to parades and festivals and Kiwanis clubs and Rotary club, those things, it is very effective for ministry purposes. And it has proven to help with my leadership and my influence, not only in my church, but in our community. Now, Tom, you're a missiologist. I learned missiology from you. Talk for a moment about the history. You so you mentioned a minute ago Jerusalem, but like, I believe the truth is that both in the Bible and throughout church history and really globally right now, the vast majority of churches in the world are and always have been neighborhood churches. Is that true? It is true. Churches have been local for the most part for a long time. When we start thinking about regional churches or churches where there's a long drive time, we're really talking about an aberration in church history. We're not talking about the normal path that has taken place. What has impressed me most is that you can still pronounce missiology. I didn't even remember (laughs) that you could pronounce it well when you were a student. Wow. The missiology of it. We can go back to the early missionaries like the Apostle Paul and the New Testament, or we can go back to historical missionaries throughout other centuries. I am a student. I'm a product of what gets a bad rap at times, the church growth movement. And the heart of church growth movement is not about all numbers and getting bigger. The heart of church growth movement is to reach people where you are. That was the essence of Donald McGavern when he wrote the book 1955, The Bridges of God. That happened to be the year I was born, but it also would happen to be a seminal work about, hey, we've got to reach people where we are. We have to be the bridges of God exactly where we are. That's missiology at its best when you begin to say, I'm in this context, I love this context, and I'm going to reach this context because this is what Jesus would do. Here's one thing that we've talked about, too, when we talk about neighborhood church. This might go more to revitalization, but some pastors, like you said, Tom, they haven't done a great job knowing their neighborhood, and then they decide to go out in the neighborhood, and they realize that their church doesn't look anything like the neighborhood. So what do we say to pastors and ministry leaders who find themselves in that kind of position? What are some things 
that you might speak specifically to that person? We get this question quite often at Church Answers. It's something that we get through our forum called Church Answers Central and in consultations and in coaching calls where someone says that, you know, I don't live in the neighborhood and it's different than most of our people on the inside. Well, basically, there are two responses to that. One is the ideal is to live in the neighborhood. I mean, you just cannot be effective if you don't live in the context where you're ministering. And then secondly, is to bring leadership from the neighborhood into the church, visible leadership as well, and to begin to transition in that area where you are actually representing the neighborhood within your church. If you go in your church on a Sunday morning, for example, and you look around and then you walk outside in the neighborhood and it looks significantly different then you have an issue there. You are not contextualizing, to use another big word. You are not part of the neighborhood like you should be. So if you don't live there, there are two answers. Try to, if at all possible. And secondly, bring up leadership within the neighborhood. Yeah, so vital. And Matthew, you're living that. Could you talk a little bit, Matthew, about a couple of ways that maybe your church uh, and that you have tried to model contextualization? What would be some examples of that for First Baptist Bartow. Yeah, so one of the things we've done is we've tried to understand there's sort of a uh, calendar and a schedule of our community events throughout the year. And a lot of times it's the same every year. So we've tried to understand what are families doing in our community? What are they up to? How can we communicate in our scheduling and our programming? Hey, we're not here for us. We're here for the community to reach the neighborhood. We want to be a church for the neighborhood. So we've tried to, to make things that are more convenient for folks to come and be a part of what we're doing. We've tried to bless families. We've opened our facilities up to uh, nonprofits, families in our community, often charging nothing. They can just come for free depending on the situation. And so we've tried to just communicate to the community that we are here for them. Our church went through some difficulties a few years back and kind of had a reputation for not being that way. So we've really been fighting against that and just trying to be hospitable humble and understanding that we want to be a church for you. We are First Baptist Church of Bartow. We want to be about Bartow. And so we've been trying to do that. And the biggest thing is just trying to teach our people that we want to be outward focused. We are here, well, first and foremost, for the glory of God, but also to reach our community. All right. So I want to go back to you, Matt, and then we'll wrap this up with Tom. So final question. There are people listening right now. They're in a a smaller church or a medium-sized church or whatever, and they recognize even hearing this that, you know, we really aren't focused on our neighborhoods. Our church isn't there. I personally have lost focus or never thought about that before. What is something that a, a local church pastor could do right now to begin to focus on their neighborhood? I would say three things. Number one, I would say, first of all, model it yourself. So be humble, reach out. You can at least have one person who's concerned about the neighborhood. If you're the pastor, you can at least start as that one person. So I would model it. Second, I would tell stories. I would tell about how you spoke to a local leader in the community or to a local business and how it blessed you to know, understand their situation, understand that that business. I think our folks learn when we tell stories. And the third thing I would say is pick a small victory. So our church, we have adopted one school in our community, just one. There are many schools, but we've adopted one school. So adopt a school or something like that sets an attainable goal that your church can accomplish to reach your community and to communicate that you are a neighborhood church. So I think those three things any church can do. By the way, 
we're a medium-sized church ourselves. And so uh, you can absolutely do it if you're a small or medium-sized church. Yeah, I appreciate those suggestions because none of those require a budget. None of those require a business meeting. Those are things that someone could do right where they are with the resources that they have right now. Tom, why don't you bring us on? What would you say to pastors just about the importance of them discovering the power of the neighborhood church or recovering it? Jimmy, one of the things I would do to build on the foundation that Matt has already articulated is I would say rediscover the power of prayer and understand that the power of prayer not only can help you to reach people, but it can change your own heart as well. And we have been leading churches through a 30-day emphasis. We call it the Hope Initiative. And what we're doing in that is we are asking a core group of members and the pastor to go together to pray through 30 different things for 30 days and be accountable to one another. And one of the main focus points of that prayer time is, God, give me a heart for my community. Give me a heart for my neighborhood. If we're going to truly be ambassadors for Christ, we have to begin with Christ working in our lives already. And so I tell that pastor, that church member, that elder, that deacon, I would say, you have everything you need right now because you have God, you have Christ, and you can ask him to empower you. Remember, Jesus did not say there's no harvest out there. He said the harvest is plenty. Mm. It is full. Send my workers. Pray to the Lord of harvest to send workers into my harvest. They're there. They're waiting on you. You have to have the power. So in addition to those things that Matt said, I would say, Begin a time of prayer. Amen. Can't ever lose with with uh, prayer. And Tom, right. I so appreciate that emphasis that you've always had from the time I was one of your MDiv students. You've made a, that a point of emphasis. And I'm so grateful that you've brought this whole conversation around to seeking God and seeking His power. So for everybody listening today, we are grateful that you have. If you like what you've heard today, I hope you'll join us for the Church for the Rest of Us conference on March the 2nd, 2023 right here at Family Church downtown in South Florida. Churchanswers.com is one of the sponsors of the conference. Registration is open right now, churchfortherestofus.com. It's cold where you live that time of year. It's warm here. Anyways, I'm Jimmy Scroggins. This has been Tom Rayner, Matt McCraw, and Leslie Bennett signing off, Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.